Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. Happy, happy Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right, Steve? It's Wednesday? Yeah, I... Okay. I uh... Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those weeks, but for wonderful reasons. It's because it's the uh, the mad dash to the end of the year, which just means we have to cram in a lot of celebrating, and there's many great movies out there that deserve that celebration. So things are crazy. Steve, what are you working on right now that excites you? Uh, I'm completely overwhelmed. I just got back from CCXP. I have so many interviews over the next week. These are first world problems, but there are so many things I need to watch and deal with because I was gone. And um, and we have the event for Leave the World Behind tomorrow night. We just announced the Oppenheimer event for next week in, in IMAX. Uh, there's just a lot going on behind the scenes, including a full weekend of interviews and things. For sure. Everyone's got a lot of great content to look out for. I will say a quick hello to the folks in the chat. We have Melissa, Mike, Sam, I see Steve and Vincent. Great group in there today. Thank you for joining us. Speaking of uh, CCXP, Steve, that'll take us into our first topic quite uh, quite nicely, where you're doing the heavy lifting because you were lucky enough to go to Brazil and see the Aquaman 2 footage. And apparently they showed a good deal. They showed 10 minutes of the film. So can you walk us through what you saw and how you felt about it? Sure. I actually don't know what the final number was for the footage, but it was a lot of footage because the movie is obviously coming out in a few weeks, so it's done. So they did not actually announce. James was like, we're going to show you footage, but he didn't announce what it was. However, as a movie fan, it was clearly the opening of the movie because it had the, you know, the Warner Brothers logo, the DC logo, and then it jumps in with uh, Jason Momoa narrating what's been going on. Um, and it has him with the child. It has him uh, doing stuff underwater and battling things. But it's the opening of the film. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm going to. This is general uh, description. Uh, but it's fun. It was like a good three minutes of the opening. Then it jumps to 
a huge action set piece with uh, Black Mantis attacking Atlantis. Uh, and it, they, they were showing like this underwater highway thing uh, where he breaks out and then Nicole Kidman's character is trying to fight and then Jason comes in. Uh, just tons of visual effects and action. It looked really good. Uh, and it looked like fun. There's a lot of one-liners and a lot of just Jason having fun. Um, obviously, if you enjoyed, from what I understand from people that have seen it, if you enjoyed the first one, you're going to enjoy the second one. If you didn't like the first one, I don't think you're going to like the second yeah. one. Uh, they talked, they showed Topo the um, octopus and talked about Topo, which is a character from a while ago that they're bringing into the movie. He saves Aquaman a lot. Uh, there's a sequence that they showed of Aquaman rescuing his brother, you know, and he's been, and why he needed to rescue his brother. Uh, uh, and uh, when he gets into the prison cell, you know, Patrick Wilson's character is very, very, very thin, a la Steve Rogers in Captain America, you know, where he, before the uh, the super soldier serum. Um, and then they have to make it to the water and obviously he makes it to the water and then he turns into Captain America. I mean, the real, you know what I mean? kick some ass. Um, what else? Uh, I didn't see any footage of Amber Heard, as far as I could tell. Um, and there was just a lot of action. It was just a lot of footage, a lot of action, a lot of one-liners, and then and Jason just having fun. I have some questions here. The, fir the first thing I'll ask, because you just brought up, it was a lot of footage. How do you gauge what's showing a lot of footage at an event like CCXP before the release of a movie means? Is showing this much footage a sign that they are they have a lot of faith in the final cut of the film? So they also showed the opening 10 minutes of Dune 2 and then scenes from the rest of the film. And the reason why I believe a studio does things like this is when the movie's actually done. So mm -hmm. Dune 2 is supposed to already be out. The movie's completely finished. You can show what you want. Visual effects are done. Aquaman 2, it, the movie's done, you know? And so you can show what you want. But the fact is at a Comic-Con like that, you know, fans want to see footage. And when you have a movie about to come out and the footage is done, you, you can show 10 minutes and get them all excited and be able to go online and say, we're seeing 10 minutes of the movie or, you know, whatever. But the interesting thing about Aquaman was how they didn't say this is the beginning of the movie or where these things from the film they were showing were. But I would imagine everything we saw was from the first act. Um, so it's not like any sort of spoilers. Mm -hmm. All right. So my other question for you is, were you able to get, you know, a read on the room, the footage and any comments made during the panel, just in terms of how they're looking at this film when it comes to its potential, like, being a good movie all on its own, but also where it's being positioned in the DC film franchise, like what it what it's going to mean, if anything, going forward. Yeah. So they did not address any of that on the panel. And the fact is, it's a very weird thing to promote this movie because essentially this is the end of the past DC universe and it's not going to continue. Everyone knows this. So you're going to see this movie to just see an Aquaman movie with Jason Momoa, no matter what kind of cliffhanger it has at the end or whatever's at the end, it's not continuing. You know, like this is basically, this is it. So, you know, it's a big budget movie and you need people to go see it. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is the last DC thing until 2025. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of the other movies, you know, there's less movies in the marketplace right now. So it maybe has more of a chance um, to do well. Uh, you know, but again, I really like the flash and it made no money. So, 
I don't know what's going to happen with Aquaman 2. I could not tell you. Well, we will find out when Aquaman uh, Aquaman and uh, The Lost Kingdom is uh, the full title here. We keep saying Aquaman 2. It's got a full title. Um, it does come out in theaters on December 20th, so we'll see how things go from there. All right. Next topic today is one that I'm very excited about because the Independent Spirit Award nominees were announced, and there's a bunch of very, very exciting films in the mix. I'm going to run through some of the categories here and just pinpoint, you know, one that pops out at me, and same for you. Steve, we'll start with the bit with the biggie. It's best feature, and you know there's there's a lot of very good titles here. I feel like American fiction is emerging as my personal favorite in the mix here. Something that I'm very excited for everyone to see and embrace, and it falls under the you know, the same category as I've been putting the holdovers in, where I think it is, you know, it's starting its awards push fairly strong. I mean, it's got the audience award at TIFF, which is a big deal, but I think those two movies are just going to keep rising in the ranks, and they might wind up uh, taking some awards from things that were considering front runners right now. So American fiction and best feature is one of my favorites. Yeah, um, I echo what you're saying. I'm going to admit on camera that I have not seen American fiction. It, I have a screener, it's sitting over there, um, but I've not watched it yet. Uh, there's a number of movies that I've not seen that are things I have to watch and I will in the very near future before voting. Um, but I will say that the buzz on that film from every single person that I've spoken to there, there's not one person who has said to me, American fiction isn't good. Yeah. And in fact, isn't great. Everyone that I know is raving about it the same way with the, with the holdovers, exactly what you said. Um, I've been a fan of the holdovers since I saw it. It's one of my favorite films of the year. Um, and I could see American fiction doing huge at the spirit awards. You know, it's it, everyone raves about it. I've got a lot of faith in that one at the Spirit Awards and in all award season shows. All right, I'm moving on to Best First Feature. And the one that I'm going to pinpoint here, Steve, is one that we were actually able to celebrate in our Sundance studio this year. And I loved it at Sundance. And I'm just so happy to see it, so, it sustain enough momentum to get into the award season conversation. It's 1001. So director A.V. Rockwell would be honored in this category. And like we keep seeing Tiana Taylor's name pop up in all these different places. I'm just really looking forward to that movie being one of, you know, the, the smaller films out there that is just gaining momentum via word of mouth and just how damn good that movie is. So I'm happy to see that that movie is getting some of the award season spotlight, even though we're, we might not be talking about it as an Oscar contender. Yeah, my biggest memory of that is when Tiana came into our studio and what she was wearing and how good she looked with her hair and everything. You you remember. She's incredible. She's something else. Yeah. I I was lucky enough to go to, uh, it was actually my first time there. And, and now I want to go every year because it was such a beautiful evening. The Critics' Choice Association celebration of cinema. And um, she was there and accepted an award. But literally every single speech the vibe of the room was just so warm and supportive and loving and inspiring. It was such a beautiful evening. That's, I was going to make a joke, but yeah, I, I heard that from other people. Mm. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't make a joke about that. What a good, <laughs> good night. Yeah. Um, does anyone stand out for you in Best Director? We have the director of All of Us Strangers, May, December, Eileen, Passages, and Past Lives. Okay, so here's the problem. All those people you just mentioned, the directors, every one of them deserves to win. 
like it's one of those where I, mm -hmm. I truly don't know. I'd have to really like sit down and think, you know, like I love Todd Haynes and what he did with May, December. Like I, I could say positive things about everyone. And um, I really don't know. Yeah, I, I really mean that. <laughs> it's a tough category there. Um, I I think because it's one of my favorites of the year, I'm, I might be. It's hard, it's hard to say this because I love them all, but it's uh, it's probably Celine's song that I'm rooting for there. All right. In best. Oh, here's one I'm very excited about for for like a number of reasons, but two in particular that we haven't spoken about. The best screenplay competition has the holdovers, American fiction, past lives, all very familiar award season contenders. You know what other two are in the mix here that makes me so happy because they are two of my favorite films of the entire year. They are 100% going to be in contention for my top 10. It is Bottoms, so it would be Emma Seligman and Rachel Sennett nominated for that screenplay. And then also Birth Rebirth, which is streaming on Shutter right now. Another one we covered at Sundance this year. That movie is phenomenal. I've watched it quite a few times. It'd be Laura Moss and uh, Brendan J. O'Brien getting nominated for that one. And like, you know, Steve, you know how hard it is for horror movies to break through in the award season conversation. So just to, to see that one, to see that spin on Frankenstein get honored and a Shudder movie to get honored like this, damn, it makes me happy. Well, you just mentioned two really important things, which is number one, comedies never, ever get any sort of credit, even though they're impossible to make. And horror never, ever gets a shout out or a nomination at indie awards or at the Oscars. It's like they don't exist. It's like they're in a their own universe that doesn't get awards. So I agree with you. Those two getting nominated is everything. And it just shows that both of them are exceptionally well-made films mm -hmm. for them to get that kind of love and nomination. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So going into best first screenplay, I feel like the theme of this conversation right now is how many movies were we lucky enough to get to cover at Sundance that wound up going all the way to award season? Because the one I'll highlight, which really makes me happy, is that the theater camp script was nominated here. And I do, I think that script is exceptional. I had watched the short before doing that interview and, you know, the short is good, but I was a little worried oh, this is too inside baseball. Maybe this is like really funny and lovely for them, but I, I don't know if it's going to reach a wide audience. And when I saw the feature film, I'm like, you all knew exactly what to do. You know how to make a movie for you and the existing community, but while finding a way to welcome in newcomers and make newcomers feel a part of that community and also want to learn more about it. Brilliant script right there. And then I think you did an interview for this one, The Starling Girl, right? Yes. So that one, Sorry. that one's in there too. Sorry. I, like, <laughs> I thought I teed you up so nicely there. I was so like, the problem is it's so, I know this sounds so crazy and anyone watching this is not going to understand this, but like it was a year ago and my brain from Sundance last year is like, was that last year? Or was that two years ago? Like it's so, 
you know, we did, I think we had, and I could be wrong, we had like 30 something things come in our studio and uh, and it's just like a blur, yeah. you know? It's I get just, it. And I know like they're about to announce Sundance this year. So I've like been prepping because I, I, I know, you know, got some embargoed info. So I'm thinking about this year's Sundance, you know, anyway. It's uh makes sense, makes sense. All right, briefly, best lead performance. There's a lot of really great people in the mix here. You know, we already brought up Tiana Taylor. There's a lot of names in the mix here, though, that I think we're gonna hear, you know, more often in the coming months. So I'm zeroing in on people that you know, won't get as many nominations, but might be deserving of those nominations, who I'm hoping are going to take this win just because. Like they deserve to have their moment. And I just feel like they're going to get less opportunities to get up at a podium. Two in particular that make me really happy. I'll say Judy Reyes from Birth Rebirth First because exceptional sure. work there. Then also Trace Lissette for Monica. Monica is one of those films, again, a smaller release, doesn't have like big powerhouse studio budget behind it, but it is so incredible that it's building momentum just based on the fact that it's really good. And all I want to do is see Monica in the conversation more and more in the coming weeks and months. I have nothing. I, uh, this is another one I have not seen. And so I feel bad, but uh, just like the audience out there, it is impossible to keep up with everything. Yes, even when you do this, as a full-time job. Steve, that's what I'm here for right now. Start start taking notes, put these priorities down to watch. All right, going into supporting performance. Again, I'm gonna do this the same way and just pinpoint people who aren't in you know, the Oscar conversation that I wanna see win just to get their time in the spotlight. Well-deserved time. One of the biggest surprises here to me was Noah Galvin for theater camp. And you know, I say surprises just because I don't know. I just wasn't anticipating theater camp to get acting honors here, even though I saw when I saw that film, everyone is really great in it. But Noah Galvin is like the sneak attack heart of the movie. He's the one his character is the one that kind of like pulls it all together in the end in a really beautiful way. So to see him be the standout here makes me very happy. And the other one is yet another movie that we covered at Sundance, Marin Ireland for Eileen. So uh, Thomas and Mackenzie and Anne Hathaway are very, very good in Eileen. Marin Ireland swoops in with barely any screen time and nearly steals the entire movie from them. She's also exceptional in Birth Rebirth. So I want everybody to hear Marin Ireland's name more, and I want her to win all the awards that she deserves now and probably has deserved in the past, too. Yeah, she has a um, small but integral part in Eileen and is fantastic. You know? Very, very good. Um, I don't know, being honest, I don't know if she has enough screen time to win, but the nomination is awesome. Yeah, the nomination makes me very happy. And yeah, I just want her to win things. Um, not that it's about winning. It's not about award, but. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it really, honestly, like, it really is about the nomination. The nomination is basically saying, to me at least, obviously winning is great, but the nomination means you were one of the top things yeah. that everyone saw. Yeah, I like I like thinking about it that way. All right. Our third and final topic of the day is a big one. It's a big deal right here because the SAG contract has officially been ratified. I'm going to read from the the official word that SAG itself put out, SAG-AFTRA. This is what they put on uh, Twitter. Today, we close out one of the most important chapters in recent entertainment history. The 2023 TV theatrical con contracts have officially been ratified by SAG-AFTRA members by a vote of 78.33 
percent to twenty one point six seven percent with a turnout of thirty eight point one five percent. Admittedly, the turnout caught me a little by surprise. I, I would have thought the number would have been a little higher than that. Yeah, I, I don't understand uh, being part of a union and not voting. I don't understand how over 60% of SAG doesn't vote when it's this important. Um, I just, I think that's crazy, you know? Um, I really do. Um, But I'm not in that union. I would have voted. Um, I'm glad it got resolved. But I think the most important thing that to take away from this uh, horrible work stoppage is that their contract is gonna impact so many other unions in Hollywood going forward and benefit them and it just showed the solidarity of the unions out here and um i'm just very happy for them getting what they wanted and um hopefully you know this is the last serious work stoppage well uh, of this amount of time bringing so bringing that up the seventh tweet in this thread reads in 2024 our sibling unions Yahtzee, AFM, and the Teamsters will be entering negotiations, and they will be able to use our groundbreaking gains as leverage in their own bargaining efforts. I very much agree with that, and I've been saying it all along. WGA and SAG standing their ground and fighting to get what they're worth is going to set a precedent that will only help other unions when they go into their own negotiations. That doesn't completely obliterate the possibility of another work stoppage. And I was reading the Variety article just to give you a little background information on that. Both the studios and the below the line workforce, camera operators, lighting technicians, makeup artists, and so on have taken a hit in 2023. That figures to be a factor on both sides heading into 2024 negotiations. How much more pain can they endure? Then there's a quote from Barry Caldwell, a veteran script supervisor. We were so financially devastated. My fear is we won't have the resolve nor the financial ability to strike. So that is definitely a concern here. Um, And then there's a couple of other uh, useful quotes here to know. Um, This comes from Amy Duddleston, a veteran TV and film editor. I do wonder what people's appetites are, but we have to get the things we need out of this next contract. And if that means signing a strike authorization, then I will do it. Um, And then goes on to say that union will seek at least a 7% raise in the first contract year to account for inflation, plus protections against drivers being replaced by self-driving trucks. That's something that's an issue there too. Um, IATI is expected to begin negotiations in March. The union represents editors, lighting technicians, makeup artists, and many other below the line workers. So they're in better positions than they would have been had SAG and WGA not done what they did to set that precedent. But the possibility of another stoppage, it's there, it's there, and it and it might be necessary. Yeah, look, the, the best thing that can happen is that the studios, if the studios were smart, and I'm not saying they are, but if the studios were smart, they would come in with a good offer to start things off. Probably not everything that they're looking for, IOTC and the other unions, but close enough that the unions might think, and, but this is me playing devil's advocate, whatever, but like that the unions would say, do we want to strike for 2% more or 3% more, or do we want to take the raises that were being offered and not strike? Because as you just said, I know a lot of people that took a huge financial hit during this strike, like massive hits. Yeah. And going on strike early next year when production is finally going to start 
really coming back in a real way in January might be really hard for a lot of people to swallow just because of like paying their rent or their mm -hmm. mortgage or their kids tuition payments or whatever it may be. And so, you know, I just think a fair offer from the studios um, would probably prevent a strike. Yeah, I mean, one has to imagine that the studios have also suffered significantly financially and it would benefit them to not have a work stoppage too. So there's that. And then there's also, again, treating artists like human beings as they should have been treated all along. So hopefully this is all resolved quickly and appropriately and we can all move on with our lives and enjoy films and shows. So and just to be clear, everyone deserves a raise who in every union in Hollywood, all the people that work on movies uh, they do God's work and they work insane hours and people don't realize the hours that the crews and everyone works uh, to bring the entertainment to the world. Very so much. you know what I mean? Everyone yeah. deserves proper compensation. Absolutely. All right. Before we close this out, is there anything you want to promote? Send, uh, send folks to check out something you've been working on? Um, you can still we sign up for the Oppenheimer IMAX event. It's in the top of Collider right now in the top six. Um, uh, it's going to be uh, the 12th. It starts at 6:30. Um, we have Hoyta and Ludwig, uh, you know, the director of photography and the composer, um, and uh, it's going to be a great night. Free popcorn and soda. Uh, like I said, it's pretty easy to sign up if you want to attend. Good deal. I like that. Um, I will, per usual, tease ladies' night. So we've got a lot of really great episodes up and running. The most recent one that went live is Shelly Hennig for Obliterated, who was lovely. And that is just a plain old fun show to talk about. It is wild. And then this week, one of my absolute favorites in the world returns to Ladies Night, Kate Siegel, who is like acting brilliance in general. But something that I love is that she is a detail-oriented backstory pro, something that I think, whether you get those details on screen or not, I think it strengthens every character she brings to life right before our eyes. And having that conversation and learning all about the backstory she crafted for her Fall of the House of Usher character, Camille, share that with you on Friday. Now, we are out of here, but I think, Steve, I think we're, we're on Collider Daily's duty tomorrow. So we will see you right back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific. Have a good day, everyone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.